Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Before we begin today's program, I'd like to invite you to join me, Debbie Blank, and Jan Weil for a special question and answer session on current events in the world and how they match up with end-time Bible prophecy. So much is going on and things are happening so quickly that we can hardly keep track of all the changes that are taking place that must take place according to the Bible before Jesus returns. Jesus could return at any moment because things are set in place for his return. So I hope you'll join Jan and I on Thursday, October 5th from 7 to 8.30 at Redeemer Church in Omaha, 13831 Industrial Road, so that we can talk about what's going on in the world according to the Bible, and we can take your questions and answers. And if you have questions, please email them in advance so that we can answer them that night. You can do that through our website at Living Word Ministry. Org. Hope to see you there. Now, please join Jackie and me as we continue our study and finish it today on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in the olden days, before the digital warning signs in our cars, when we would get gas, the serviceman would always check the oil in the car. The obvious reasons we know is to make a change if there's any problem with the oil or to add some oil if it's necessary. How often do we check our spiritual dipsticks to see if there's a problem? And if we do the evaluation, are we willing to make the adjustments needed so our spiritual cars keep running? We're going to have that evaluation today as Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with some significant evaluations and warnings. And I'm co-host Jackie Saylors. To continue Debbie's analogy, If you've never checked the warning lights on your spiritual dashboard, you may be in for a shock in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a flashing emergency light that you must check out immediately. It's in Matthew 7, 21, which warns that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you've been mindlessly driving your spiritual car down the broad, crowded highway of life, you need to immediately turn off onto the narrow path and let your GPS God's positioning system, recalculate your path to the only way that leads from destruction to life. That's so great because he wants us to be on the right road with him. And we can't be if our car's not running right, if our spiritual engine isn't working. But do we stop to evaluate our lives? So do we just keep driving down the road? And the problem is that most of the time we follow other people and we assume that we're okay because they're okay or they tell us that we're doing things right when in fact we might not be. We might not be following God's word or even having a relationship with him. So Jesus gives us four contrasting examples in these last verses of Matthew 7. They're the two gates, the two trees, the two professions of faith, and the two foundations. So we can ask ourselves, which of the two are we? We're going to begin with the two gates in Matthew 7, 13 through 15. Here we're told, enter through the narrow gate, 
for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Well, Jesus doesn't make us guess which gate we're supposed to open here. He tells us right up front to enter through the narrow gate. Why? Because the wide gate of destruction is the easy one. Most people follow it. It's wide. There's lots of room. It's enticing. We can find all of our lusts and our desires in it. Most people are going that way, and we like to follow people because we're sheep. We think it's a lot more fun than this narrow gate. And I'm telling you, I lived in the broad gate until I was 24 years old. I wasn't a bad person, but I enjoyed the things of the world, and it is not nearly as fun as walking with Christ and in the spiritual relationship that we have. But somehow we think it is. We think we have to give up too much to turn to Christ, and believe me, we have so much more with Christ. So in the wide, broad gate of destruction, we don't have to follow any rules. We can make our own goals and our own direction, and basically we can be our own gods because the wide gate of destruction is the way of the world. And I often think of how my mother used to tell us that God's rules, God's laws were a protection and how I can look back on my life and see how I was protected because I didn't go the way of the world. My mom's voice was just always in my ear, and uh, but it was such a protection. God is, is not up there trying to keep us from having a good time. He loves us, and he wants to protect us. And he warns us in 1 John two fifteen to 17, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So keep that in mind. If we're walking down the wide gate, the love of God isn't in us. John goes on to say in verse 16, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And by the way, I think those are the three foundational sins of every other sin. So he's saying if we follow the ways of the world, that wide path, it's not from the Father. It's full of sin. Then he says, the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. And doing the will of God is walking through that narrow gate. And when we talk about the narrow gate, I saw a man wearing a button one time, and on the button it said, I am narrow-minded. And then it gave the reference, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. I got such a kick out of it because, you know, one of the worst things you can be accused of in the world today is being narrow-minded. So I loved how they took that verse and used it to proclaim what we're saying right here in the scriptures today. Yeah, and the reason we're to be narrow-minded by walking through the narrow gate because only a few FIFA go through there. The passage reads, it's constricted. That means there's rules to follow. We can't just do anything we want to do. We have responsibilities before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to live for him, to walk with him, to act like him, to serve him. I think of bringing baggage into a restricted gate, and you just can't do that because there's not enough room. We just recently were on a cruise, and I couldn't take my whole wardrobe or even part of what I wanted to take because there wasn't enough room in the cabin to fit the luggage. Well, there's not enough room in the narrow gate to bring the baggage of this world through with us. 
Instead, the narrow gate is designed for those who follow Jesus Christ, who are willing to give up that baggage, those sins, the ways of the world, in order to follow Jesus. So when we follow the world, we choose to give up Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we choose to give up the world. That might sound like, just as you said, it's actually so much better. Your life is so much better to give up the ways of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the foolish pride of life. Those are the things that have often gotten people into trouble. But if you follow Jesus, it's a protected way. It's narrow, but it's a protected way. So ask yourself, are you walking through the wide gate of destruction, it's called? Or are you walking through the narrow gate with Jesus? Well, then we have another pair, two trees. In Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Jesus warns us, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now that's kind of an interesting statement because if you're going to know them by their fruits, that means you're going to judge them. You're going to make a judgment call on how they act or how they live. And we were just told in the previous verses, we're not to judge anyone. So this doesn't mean that we are to judge them, but simply to watch their lives. Are they focusing on Jesus Christ? Are they looking to encourage people to bring them closer to God? Do they follow and live by and teach the scriptures? Or do they talk of the ways of the world and walk by the ways of the world? Jesus warned us here that the bad fruit people are false prophets. That means what they do is by nature false and wrong and contrary to God. They tickle our ears. They say what they want us to hear or what they think we want to hear. There's no accountability with false teachers. They entertain us rather than instruct us. They encourage us with their way to get to heaven, which isn't God's way because they are false teachers. Some will say, well, everyone's going to go to heaven because God's God of love. That's not what the Bible says. They manipulate us sometimes to follow their beliefs and their religions. And we have to make sure that we instead are the good trees bearing the good fruit and follow those who do bear good fruit so that our focus, our lives are on Jesus Christ, on the truth, on the word, on the bearing good fruit in our lives as well as in the lives of others. We just need to be discerning. I heard a gentleman one time say he wasn't being a judge, he was being a fruit inspector. And so what we're doing is we're watching that fruit, watching for that because we're told to do that. And I think also when you're talking about people who might be false prophets, 1 John 4, 1, 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're to watch for that. We need to be discerning. Jesus says in Matthew 5:16, "Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." That's the good fruits. That shows our relationship with Jesus Christ. It pours out of us. 
Good fruits are the outcropping of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of people who don't know Jesus who do good deeds, but there's a difference between good deeds and spiritual fruit. That's what God wants us to have versus the false teachers. Which one are you? Are you bearing good fruit or are you bearing bad fruit? Now, God knows the answer to that, but you should too, just by examining your life. The next option we have is to choose between two professions. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, we're told, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But, contrast there, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How can someone do things in the name of Jesus and not be accepted by Jesus? Well, there's lots of false teachers out there who claim to know Jesus or follow him who don't follow the truths of his word, who don't have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a friend one time who memorized much of the Bible. And then he came to our church when he moved to Omaha and he started going to different classes and realized he did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He just memorized the Bible. Anybody can do that. So anyone can perform different things that make them look good in front of other people. But Jesus knows our hearts. Well, it seems like, you know, they have this list of things that are works that they did. Some of them were even remarkable in the name of the Lord. So that might be a little confusing. How can they use the name of the Lord and actually perform miracles and still not be followers of the Lord Jesus? That's a question I'm going to present to you. And also, at the very first of that verse, it's whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So I'm looking at this as what is works and what isn't works. Okay, well, first of all, to answer your first question, John 8, tells us that Satan is a father of lies. He has the ability to do all kinds of works and miracles. So he's the one that can allow people to do things. They might think it's in the name of Jesus, but it's Satan's calling. In Revelation 13, we see that he will equip the Antichrist in the future to perform signs and wonders and miracles, as well as the false prophet. So just because someone's doing miracles doesn't mean it's from Jesus. That's important to know. That's where it comes to that passage in 1 John that you read, that you must test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Or even just doing normal good works. There are a lot of people that are out there doing good works, thinking that that's what they need to do to get to heaven. Yes, and that's not. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the only way to have eternal life. The only way to know the Father is through the Son. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So good works are an outgrowth of that relationship with Jesus Christ, but they don't save us. Our works never will get us into heaven because if they did, there'd be a scale. And how would Jesus measure on that scale? 
Would he measure your works versus my works or his works versus our works? It's never going to match up. It's all based on a relationship with Jesus. And we're told the same thing in 1 John 5, 11 through 12. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It couldn't be any clearer in those verses that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. That's why we're told in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we need to confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and then we will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So the one who will not make it into heaven is the one who did not do the will of the Father by believing on the Son. That's right, by not humbling himself before the mighty hand of God and calling on his name. It's pretty clear, folks. You have a choice there. Which one's it going to be? Are you going to enter God's kingdom? Is he going to call you? Are you going to be able to call him Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, enter, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? It's a decision that has to be made now on this earth because once we get to eternity, it's too late. The decision has already been made. And so he gives us this last warning or example, and that's the two foundations or the two different kinds of people. It tells us in Matthew seven twenty four to 28, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell and its collapse was great. And then it says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one with great authority and not as the scribes. So going back to that, did you hear that Jesus says that people need to hear his words and act on them? Most people who call themselves Christians hear God's words, but they don't act on them. They follow their religions, maybe, but they don't follow the truth of the word of God. They don't turn their lives over to Jesus. They just follow a bunch of rules. Jesus wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to follow a religion. That's man-made. He wants us to follow him. So the wise man who built his house on the rock built it on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ because First Peter 2, 6 says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. And we know from other passages that, that cornerstone is Jesus. If we will build our house on that solid rock of Jesus Christ, nothing can sweep us away. Nothing can cause us to fall. But if we build our house on sand, on the world, on the ways of the world, on our own thoughts, so our religions so what we think is right, we're going to fall. And it says the collapse when we fall is great. We need to hear the words of Jesus and act on them. Are you foolish 
like the man who built his house on a sand? Or are you wise, the one who built his house on Jesus Christ? Well, did you notice in each of these four examples that the choice we make has a conclusion to it? If we follow the wrong choice, there's going to be destruction thrown into the fire. We will not enter into heaven and we will fall. On the other hand, those who choose wisely to commit to Jesus Christ as Lord, to follow him in all of our ways, to hear his words and act on him, we're going to have life. It says it leads to life. We bear good fruit. We'll enter the kingdom of heaven and we won't fall because we're founded on the solid rock. Is Jesus Christ the solid rock of your salvation? Is he truly the cornerstone of your life? Understand, a cornerstone sets the direction of the whole building. A building will collapse if the cornerstone has not been set in place properly. So let's review what we have just seen. These are Jesus' final words to his disciples up on the Sermon on the Mount. These words that he's giving them to change their lives, to show them that they need to have a change of heart so they can have a change of conduct in this age of grace by turning and surrendering to Jesus as their Redeemer. So when he ends these words to them, he does it by giving them choices. Which choices would they make? He'd explained everything to them about how they should live and what's different. Now he wants them to choose the proper direction. So he gives them the two gates, that choice. Are they going to walk through the wide gate, which brings them to destruction? Or are they going to walk through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life? Ask yourself the same question. And then he talks about the two trees, the tree that bears good fruit and the tree that bears bad fruit. Now understand there's a lot of good people out there who bear good fruit, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So what we're talking about here is spiritual fruit, whose heart is totally devoted to Jesus Christ versus the false teachers who are focusing on themselves. So which tree are you? Are you bearing the good fruits that come out of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you bearing the bad fruit, which comes from doing things in your own power. Remember that we're told in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, therefore by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. But then once we're saved, we're told in verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's those good works that produce the good fruits of the kingdom of God that we're talking about here. Then we have the two professions, the two people who follow the will of God or who don't follow the will of God. Those who don't follow the will of God, we're told they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do follow the will of God will. And a lot of people will say, well, what's the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Well, the will of God is very simple, and that is that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. That is God's will. Everything beyond that, he will show you direction in life. But his will is that you spend eternity with him. So which way are you going to choose? Are you going to do his will and enter the kingdom of God or not do his will? 
And then when that happens, you wake up in eternity on the wrong side. And finally, we have the two foundations. So the two men, they're called the foolish men and the wise man. The foolish man built his foundation on the world. The wise man built his foundation on Jesus Christ. Which are you, foolish or wise? You and I might look good on the outside. The Pharisees did. But if our house isn't built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, spiritually, from insides, from our hearts, to give him control of our lives, then we're just walking through the motions. And we're going to suffer the consequences that we just talked about. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. Because you will wake up in eternity and find that you made the wrong decisions in life. Jesus wants us to make the right decisions. He wants us to turn to him today before it's too late. He wants us to surrender to him. All we have to do is give him our heart. There's no magic prayer. There's nothing we have to do. It's by God's grace that he saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is have that faith, and it's not tangible. We can't touch it. It's in our hearts. And so a lot of us will pray a prayer in faith to God to surrender our lives to him. And it's not a prayer that saves you. The prayer is just the sign to God, the words to God acknowledging where your heart is. So if you want to say that prayer right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say that. You can listen to it. You can say it later. It doesn't have to be the exact words. God's looking at your heart, not listening to your words. If you're ready to turn your life over so you can choose the right direction in these four examples that Jesus gives us, then turn to him today. And all you need to do is say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who's God, who came unto this earth, and he died for my sins. Because I can't enter into heaven as a sinner, and I can't do anything to get rid of my sins. Only Jesus could. He died for my sins on the cross, and I believe in that. And then he rose from the dead in order to conquer death so that he would open the door to heaven first as the first fruits, and then for us, that we could spend eternity with you. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need that redemption from Jesus. And I believe that he saved me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ right now. Give him everything so that he is the Lord of my life and I will follow him all the days of my life. Thank you, Father, by your grace that these changes can be made and that you will lead me and guide me through Jesus Christ in every way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer and meant it with all of your heart because the words didn't get you into heaven, it's your heart that does, then by faith that you have in Jesus Christ through God's grace, you now are assured of entering into eternal life. Jesus will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now it's time for you to tell somebody. It's time to get into God's word and see what he would have you do so that you can walk with him in this new life with him. And if you want, you can write us. We'll be happy to give you direction on how to walk closer with Jesus Christ each and every day. 
And by the way, as a new creature in Christ, you have his Holy Spirit who's there to guide you too in all truth. So seek truth because Jesus is truth. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.